best thing that's ever happened to me. And I owe it all to you, Lord. All I have is yours, Lord. So take my life and make it what you'd have me be. I'm your child and you're my father. comes, you're always there to make me smile. So come what may, thy will be done. I love you, Jesus, God's precious Son. Lord, you're the best thing that's ever happened to me. ever happened to me. I'm your child and you're my father. I'm the clay and you're the potter. Lord, you're the best thing that's ever happened to me. I heard that um, <clears throat> song getting practiced, and I, I, I wasn't hearing the Lord part, and I was like, you're the best thing that's ever happened to me, and I, I, I wasn't sure what, but then after I listened to it just now, I realized what the song's about, finally, I got a handle on that, of course, they're engaged to be married, so, you know, I, that's why I was wondering, I just wasn't sure there for a minute, <clears throat> well, anyway, that's good. <laughs> It's a good song. It really is. It's, yeah, well, I like that. That's, that's good. Now that I understand what it's about, that's good. All right. At first, it was kind of grossing me out. <clears throat> you know, all that syrupy stuff, you know. Oh, well, anyway, Luke chapter 24, if you would, please. Luke chapter 24 tonight. <clears throat> we'll see where we end up here tonight. Luke chapter 24. <clears throat> We're going to read starting in verse 46 and read through verse 53, the end of the chapter. And so let's just uh, begin there in verse 46, and we'll go from there, all right? All right. And he and said, said unto them, okay, we're kind of coming in the middle. Let's tell you what, let's go back to verse 45. Then opened he their understanding that they might understand the Scriptures, and said unto them, Thus it is written, and thus it behooved Christ to suffer to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in His name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. And ye are witnesses of these things. Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until ye be endued with power from on high. And He let them out as far as to Bethany, and He lifted up His hands and blessed them. 
It came to pass while he blessed them. He was parted from them and carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And were continually in the temple praising and blessing God. Amen. It was a number of years ago when I was fairly young. My mom would take us to the store with her always. And it was about the time where we just started getting old enough to where she could trust us to maybe slip around the aisle and look at something on our own. And I remember asking a number of times, you know, and, and throughout uh, those times, you know, Mom, can we go look at the footballs? Mom, can we, can we go check out the Play-Doh? Mom, can we go look at the models, you know, and, you know, try to all the cool stuff. We're bored with Mom, you know, she's, she's looking at the th- certain things. We want to look at something fun for us, you know, and... And so we would ask her, you know, and she'd, she'd made my brother and I, Ed, usually, because he was a, a year older than I was, and she would say to us, and she'd say, well, sure, uh, yeah, I suppose you can go. And we'd start to take off, and she'd go, hold your horses. Come back here a second. Hold on a second. And she'd say, now listen, you remember to stay together. You stay together and don't touch anything. You break it, you bought it. All right, Mom. We take off. Hold your horses, she'd say. When she'd say that, she just meant simply this. Hold up a few minutes or for a moment. I've got something that I need to share with you. Before you take off and do what's got to be done or you feel you need to do, you're going to hold on a second. I've got some information for you. I've got something before you take off and leave. And boy, she'd just make sure that we had it set. We were clearly understanding everything. The disciples had been enlisted by the Lord Jesus Christ. Many of them were fishermen, just normal Joes. They weren't anybody special in the sense of, you know, economically or socially. They were just common Joes like you and I. And he enlists them into the work of God. He says to them, I'll make you fishers of men. And for three years, he personally trained these these men. For three years, he personally traveled with them and he, they, they, they slept together, they ate together, they lived together for three years. And all the time, he was making them and molding them into the men that they would need to become in order to accomplish the calling of God on their life, making them fishers of men long after he had gone. Of course, we know that at the end of that three years, they reluctantly accepted the reality that Christ would be betrayed, that he would ultimately be berated before mankind, that he would be beaten by the soldiers and others, then he would ultimately be crucified on Calvary. And yet now, here we are in our passage, and Christ has risen. He's alive. And they were witnesses of this reality, this truth. The book of 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 5 through 8, the Bible tells us and that he was sent of a scene of Cephas, then of the twelve. After that he was seen, referring to Christ, of above five hundred brethren at once, of whom the greater part remained unto this present, but some are fallen asleep, or some have already gone on to heaven. After that, verse 7, he was seen of James, then of all the apostles. And last of all, he was seen of me, the apostle Paul says, as, uh, as of one born out of due time. The risen Savior, Jesus Christ, seen personally by these men. 
They had seen him firsthand. They had witnessed the reality of the risen Savior. Not only did they see the risen Savior firsthand, but now he's going to instruct them. He's going to give them their marching orders. We note Matthew chapter 28 verse 19 and 20. It rounds this out. Of course, we see it here as well in Luke, but it, I think, almost says it a little more clearly in Matthew when he says, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. So they've received their marching orders. Their mission statement has been delivered. They know exactly what God wants them to do. They know exactly what they're supposed to accomplish. So it's obviously time to get to work, right? Hold your horses, he says. Hold your horses, fellas. There's still something you need before you get busy with the work. And that's what I want to share with you for just a moment. I want to note three things that we learn from verse 49 about holding your horses. Slowing down just a little bit. Letting God do what He's got to do before we take off and do what we think we need to do. So often, we're ready to just take off. Just get it done. Just Finish the job. And God's going, hold your horses. There's something that you need before you go. And that's what we want to talk about today. Let's pray. Father, we come to you. We thank you again for this time together. Lord, we're excited about you and your word and about, Father, just all that you've done for us. Help us, Lord, to just glean in these next few minutes the simplicity of your word, to truly understand what it is we need, just as you told the disciples to hold on, to slow down, to just to wait. Lord, help us to understand now what it is that we must wait on. We'll thank you in Christ's name. Amen. Verse 49, And behold, I send the promise of the Father upon you, but tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. Well, I'll tell you what, they had traveled with the Lord, as I said, they'd been equipped by the Lord, and now here they are with their mission statement. Here they are with all the tools in the bag, and They're being told exactly where to go and what to do, so to speak. But now all of a sudden he says, hold on, hold on. What are we holding on for? Well, first of all, the promise. Notice verse 49, we see the promise listed here. The promise defined in Acts chapter 2, verse 33, it says, Therefore, being by the right hand of God exalted, and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost, he has shed forth this which ye now see and hear. Of course, we know in Acts chapter 2, verse 33, we have the, the day of Pentecost taking place. And of course, Peter is preaching and along with others, and we find here that many thousands will be saved. But the fact is, is that Peter notes that the promise was received, the promise of the Holy Ghost. That's what made Pentecost possible. That's what made 2, soul, uh, 3,000 souls possible. 
You caught me, didn't you? But the fact is, is that they were to wait. And now all of a sudden, we see the promise, the Holy Ghost. So in this particular passage, when he talks about the promise, it's, we're talking about the Holy Spirit of God, the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost was defined here in Acts chapter 2.33 as being the promise. Then also, he's delivered in John chapter 14. Turn there, if you would, please. We're going to note that the Lord intends to deliver the Holy Ghost to his people. And again, if there's one person of the Trinity that's often neglected, forgotten, kind of left sitting on the side of the road, it's the Holy Ghost. We have God the Father, God the Son. We like to talk about Jesus. We just sang about Him. We like to discuss God the Father. But often the Holy Spirit of God is the one that's neglected. He's left out, if you will. And boy, God God the Lord Jesus Christ said, you need to wait on God the Holy Ghost. He's important. He's the promise. Verse 49, he's noted, we note there. Now notice what it says here in John chapter 14 about the promised one. It says, and I will pray, verse 16, the Father, John 14, 16, and I will pray the Father and he shall give you another comforter that he may abide with you forever, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but ye know him for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. First of all, he's a comforter. He's a comforter. Well, I'll tell you what he says. Now, fellas, listen. Okay, I know that I've, you've traveled with me. I know that you've slept, ate, drank with me. We've, we've spent three years together. You have your tool bag. It's all filled up, ready to go. You've got your mission. You know exactly what your calling is, what the purpose of your existence will be from this day forward. And, and he says, now, listen, you, there's a promised one coming. I want you to wait and tarry. Why? Because of the promise. The Holy Spirit. You're going to need some comfort along the way. You're going to need some of what God the Holy Ghost can give you. He's the comforter. How many of you have ever needed comforted before? Every one of us has needed comforted. When I was a kid, I still remember coming home from school. I remember there was a bully that was chasing me. He was about six foot six, 250 pounds, and I was only about 95 pounds. At least that's how big he looked to me. And I still remember my mother comforting me. It'll be all right. You'll be okay. Then I also remember when my brother had a boy knock on the door one day. And he said, I have business with your son. She said, what, what, what are you talking about? He says, I want to beat him up. Not me. It was my brother. And my mom said, Jeff, come here. Some kid says he wants to beat you up. He came to the door and he said, I don't want to go out there. She said, you're going out there. Pushed him out the door. He took a big butt whooping that day. I don't know what the deal was with comfort that day. He didn't got none. No comfort. I still remember him sticking that, his thumb. That kid stuck his thumb in my brother's throat. And he was gagging. And finally it was like, all right, enough's enough. Come on. The kid's choking. Come on. My mom was like, all right, get back in. He's crying. <laughs> I don't know what that's about. My mom comforted me. I don't know what happened to my brother Jeff. But, you know, we like to be comforted. Oh, by the way, can I tell you the rest of the story, though? That boy and two other boys, when my brother got to sixth grade, that boy and two other boys decided they're going to jump my brother. He beat all three of them up at the same time. It was the best thing in the world. It was awesome. (laughs) Didn't even step in. Just let him fight on his own. Three guys. It was great. But anyway... He got his revenge, I suppose. John, you like that story? Do you? Yeah, me too. I like it too, John. See, John wants to be a preacher too. You got to have a little fire to be a preacher. Okay, that's good. So anyway, 
Somebody says, well, you're not supposed to be fighting. I don't know. I, I, I don't know about that. Look at some of the battles that preachers have had to fight through the years. My goodness, that's the least of our battles, right? Physical battles, nothing compared to spiritual warfare. But anyway, so you better be a fighter, at least spiritually. You don't have to be physically, but at least spiritually, amen? Now, so, so anyway, she was a comfort to me. And you know what? I, I like being comforted, and I think you like being comforted. I don't think anyone, uh, you know, is a whole, for the most part, we enjoy that. Well, God said, listen, uh, you know, comfort's going to be important. It's going to be necessary. It's going to be needful. And so the Holy Spirit's going to come. He's the promised one, and he's going to deliver some things to you. One is comfort. Also, we see in John chapter 14, verse 26, a couple of other things. But the comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, there he is, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I've said unto you. So he's going to teach us some things. I, I don't know about you, but I need to learn things all the time. You know, the moment they say, the, mo- the day you stop learning is the day you stop living. You've heard those kind of statements, right? You know what? It's a sad day when we as husbands stop learning how to be better husbands. Or at least being open to learning. It's a sad day when a wife thinks, "Ah, I've got it all figured out. I don't need to do anything else. Ah, What it is is what it is. If he don't like it, he can lump it. That's a sad day. You know what I mean? I mean, it's a sad day when a preacher says, I've learned as much Bible as I can possibly learn. There's no reason to continue to study. I've got what I need to get the job done. Yeah, I'm done learning. That'd be a pretty bad attitude. And so here these disciples are. Oh yeah, they've been given the tools. They've got their tool bag with them. It's time to get to the job. Jesus says to them, all right, I've trained you. I've, I've taught you. I've, I've invested in you. I've mentored you. I've given you everything you need. And uh, I'm telling you, here's what you're going to do. You're going to be witnesses unto me. But hold your horses for a minute. What? The promise. You, you need the promise. And so we see the comforter, we see the teacher, and we see that he'll ultimately bring them all things to their remembrance. I don't know about you, but lately it seems that I've been forgetting things more often. Don't you wish God would bring to your remembrance things like the names of your Sunday school companions and partners? You know, people, you shake their hands, but you don't even know their names. They've been coming here for four years. Hey, how you doing? And you hope, you hope a situation doesn't arise where you have to actually use their name. Nobody's ever been there before, right? Well, listen, I mean, you're going, Lord, please bring to my remembrance their name. Oh, Lord, please help me. You know, that's true with our Bible reading, prayer, and, you know, and our, 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 our memorization, we get out there knocking on doors. Hey, the Holy Spirit's the one that brings to our remembrance those things that we've memorized, things that we've learned and been taught. Well, He's so important. He's so valuable. And, and, and the Lord's telling them, listen, you may have your tool bag. You may have your mission outlined and laid out. But you know what? You're going to need the Holy Spirit. You need the promised one because He's going to be your comforter when you're in need. He's going to be your teacher when you have to learn a few things along the way. And he's going to also bring to remembrance those things that are necessary and needful to accomplish what I've called you to do. We, we see the promise here. But also in verse 49, we see the place. <clears throat> the place. And behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you. But tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem. Now, in their particular case, they're told, okay, now listen, uh, okay, you've got all the tools, <clears throat> you've been given the mission. But hold your horses. I want you to tarry, stay, be still in Jerusalem. 
Just remain here. This is where it's all going to happen, but you've got to stay here. You just have to be, be, just remain here. So this place is a place of patience then. It's a place of patience. Guys, listen, I know you're anxious to get started. I know you want to get the job done. I know you can't wait to charge hell with a squirt gun. But be patient. Be patient. Has the Lord ever put something on your heart or there's a need in your life and you feel like you just got to do it? You got to take care of it. You just got to go get it done. And something inside, the Holy Spirit of God is going, be patient. Wait. The Bible says in Psalm 27, 14, wait on the Lord. Be of good courage and he shall strengthen thine heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. You know what? I have often said to people throughout the, my tenure as a pastor, I'd always say this. <clears throat> the Christian life is a waiting game. It's a waiting game. You know, when I was in the military, I, I, I hated this about the military to some degree, but I still remember them, you know, getting us up very, 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 very early in the morning, especially when you was in training of some sort or another. And there you're standing at a, a tension out there in the freezing cold or possibly the heat in the sun. Even though it was very early, sometimes it was really warm and muggy. And here you are standing at a tension out there. And then finally they're like, parade rest. And you're over here at parade rest. And you're standing there. Your shoulders are hurting. You can't stand it. You're like, oh, please, let me just rest and relax. Boy, you're out there, it seems like, for hours. Although it may have only been for 20 minutes or 30 minutes. It feels like hours, at least. And then they turn around and say, all right, you know, attention, right face. And then all of a sudden, they're like, double time, boom. You're running. Everywhere you go, you're running. They got you running everywhere. You end up at the mess hall in the morning for breakfast. What do you do at the mess hall? You ran there. I mean, they got you up at 4.30 in the morning. You stood out there for 20 minutes waiting on your drill sergeant to get, you know, motivated to take you. You run now because, boy, you, obviously the food is either burning or it's going to be cold if you don't get there on time. So you rush on over there. You stand now in a line waiting to go in. And what do they do? Pray it, Ruth! And you stand at the door for the next 30 minutes. You wait and you wait. Why are we waiting? Why did we get up at 4.30? Why were we standing at attention for a half hour? How's come we ran down here? We could have walked. So you can wait. Hurry up and wait. I got to believe that the disciples felt a little like that. Okay, you know, you got us all fired up. You know, you you died on Calvary. You resurrected. And now you spoke to us, told us what you're going to have us do. We're going to take the gospel to the whole world. And you've equipped us. You've prepared us. And Lord, now it's time to get the job done. Let us go. And he says, hold your horses. Jerusalem was a place of patience. They had to learn to wait. You know what? If we're going to be successful in our Christian lives, we better learn to wait. There's one, one real problem that we struggle with. It's waiting. It's waiting. I, I can't stand waiting. I got some new internet not long ago. It's supposed to be so much faster. I mean, it's, you'll never have to worry about it, you know, uploading anymore. It'll just be there. Yeah, right. I hate waiting for things to upload. I want to click a button and there it is. I, I don't like that click and it goes... See that thing circling? You ever see that? And you're like, 
I don't know about, you know what I mean? Have you ever, I don't know, maybe you don't feel that way, but I can't stand waiting. I mean, it's like, come on now. I paid, you know, I paid for this good internet, you know. I, I had to talk somebody into giving me a good deal. You know how that is, too. If you call them and you say the right things and you threaten to leave them and do all that, they'll give you good deals. Never, never accept what they tell you the first three times. <clears throat> a place of patience. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 31. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. And they shall walk and not faint. Well, that's a passage, isn't it? Isn't that good? Isaiah 40, 31. The place. It was a place of patience. But not only that, it was a place of prayer. Okay, they, you know, when, have you ever been in a hurry? Or, or you're anxious about something? It's hard to concentrate, isn't it? It's hard to focus. All you can think about is what needs to get done. You know, I come to the office often, and there's always a myriad of things that need to be accomplished. And my mind spins, okay? And one of the most difficult things to do, for me at least in the ministry, is to push all of that aside and take the time to pray about things without worrying about what I have to get done. That's not easy. At least not for me. It's a constant battle. It's kind of like, you know, we went away on vacation a number of years ago. The whole family did, and we were at this one park. And uh, it, it was actually some uh, um, military, in World War, uh, no, excuse me, not Revolutionary War, but Civil War, some Civil War uh, ruins. And um, <clears throat> we decided to take a look at it. It was down in Georgia. And so we were going through these, and they were really cool. You know, you could walk inside you know, and, and see where they stored uh, gunpowder. And it was like you were there. Like, you, you know, we were pretending, you know, and well, we were trying to. But if I could tell you why we couldn't really do a very good job of it, it was because of this. Everywhere we went, there were a million flies. <laughs> a f- I mean, a million flies. It wasn't just two or three. It was a million. I mean, we're walking and they're flying all over, hitting us and landing on us. It was, the, it was a nightmare. I hated it. And I mean, with the kids, we were all like, man, these flies were just... Swinging everywhere we go. It's like, whoa. My wife, she's walking not, nothing. Nothing landing on her at all. And she's saying, it's because I eat so good. My system's so pure. And they're landing all over us, biting us and doing all kind of dumb stuff. We're over here running around from station to station. We're like, okay, we're going to have to leave this building now. You know, and it was just, you know, it was still outside. But we're like, all right, ready, set, go. We're running to the next one. And they're like... You know, and she's just walking along. And I'm like, are you kidding me? I couldn't concentrate. I could not enjoy, even though it was probably one of the coolest places we'd ever been as far as, you know, those kind of things and getting a chance to see, you know, all of that. Man, I was like, all I thought about was, I want to leave. I've got to get out of here. This is crazy. And you know what? That's how my thoughts are sometimes. They're like flies. Just buzzing around all the time. I can't get rid of them. I'm, I'm just... You, you know what I mean? Hey, this place was a place of prayer. They had to come to the place where they were willing to say, Okay, Lord, I know you, you've already equipped us. You've already given us our tool bag. You've already prepared us for the mission. You've told us what the mission is. You've even given us our marching orders. But now you tell us to hold our horses. Now you tell us to wait on you. They could have sat around and fret and worried and 
you know, just did the best they could to just wait. But they were found praying. Look at Acts chapter 1, verse 14. Following the ascension of Christ, the brethren meet in an upper room and they await the promised one. They're found praying while they wait. They're not to do anything. They're, They're not, at this point, they're to hold their horses. At this point, they're just supposed to wait on the Lord and the promised one. And in chapter 1, verse 14, the Bible tells us or shows us exactly what they're doing. It says, Then all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brethren. These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication. When we're anxious and we we feel things need to get done, it's hard to focus on prayer. It's hard to keep our mind on the Lord. And you know what? That's exactly what he told them. If we want to be successful in the Christian life, we have to somehow find a way to put our attention on him, even in the midst of the confusion and chaos of this life in which we live. That was a place of patience. It was a place of prayer. And ultimately, it was a place of perseverance, really. You know, again, and we've touched on this in the past, but... You know, obedience or obeying the master isn't always doing something on his behalf. Being obedient to the master and serving the Lord can sometimes just mean sitting and waiting. In this case, it meant praying and preparing their hearts for the one who would come, the Holy Ghost. The most difficult place to be in the Christian life is the waiting place. It's hard to wait, especially when you're in pain or suffering or when your heart's broken and heavy. When your children or your family or your needs are abounding, it's hard to wait. But God's telling us often, yes, that place is a place of patience, but it ought to be a place of prayer and a place of perseverance. You just got to stick it out. You got to stay true. You just can't allow yourself to take charge of the circumstance and situation. You have to wait on the Lord and be of good courage. So we see, first of all, the promise in verse 49. We note the place. Finally, notice the power here. The power. It says, I've got to get back to that location again. I. Lost my place. Luke chapter 24. Uh, Make it 23. 24. Verse 49. Until ye be endued with power from on high. That place in Jerusalem was a place of patience. It's a place of prayer, but it was a place of power. Because that's where it all fell. In Acts chapter 1 verse 8, But ye shall receive power. After that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. 
and you shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. Yeah, they, they, yes, they had traveled with the Lord. If there was anybody that could get the job done, it would have been them. Obviously, if they didn't do it, who would? But it wasn't time to get the job done yet. Jesus said, okay, yes, I've equipped you. Sure, I've given you a tool bag. Of course, I've provided you with all the, the, the information you need virtually. I mean, I've, I've given you myself. I've mentored you personally. But there's one thing that you need before you go out. Before you take those steps of faith. Before you begin the work that I've called you to do. You need the power. The power of the promised one. The power of the Holy Ghost. If you're going to be an effective witness, you need the power of the Holy Ghost. If you're going to be an effective worshiper, you need the power of the Holy Ghost. If you're going to be effective in the work of God, you need the power. If you want to be the son or daughter that God intends you to be and fulfill the word of God in your life as He intends you to, you need the power of the Holy Ghost. If you're going to be the husband or the wife that God intends you to be, desires of you, demands of you, you must have and experience the power of the Holy Ghost. It doesn't matter what we want to accomplish on behalf of God. And it really doesn't matter what God wants to accomplish with us if we don't hold our horses first and get a hold of the power. It's useless. Because then it's of flesh, not of faith. And if it's not of faith, it is sin, the Bible tells us. I can have the best plan written out. I can, I can have it... Identify, I can identify every concern, every problem, potential problem that there would be. I can have the machine in place ready to just put out the necessary elements to make it all happen. But you know what? If we don't have the power of the Holy Spirit, it's just that. It's a fleshly machine. It's going to produce temporal results. I'm convinced that this year, 2015... The only way that we start seeing fruit that remains. I mean, we had over 100 people come to Christ last year. We had over 30% baptized. But the only way we see fruit remain is to get the power. People say, well, I don't understand why we go so in all the time. I don't understand why people get saved and profess Christ and they never come to church. They never get right with God. They never end up where we do. They don't do the things we do. I don't get it. I don't understand it. I'll tell you what it is. Power. Lack thereof. Someone says, well, what are you saying? You're saying we lack the power. I'm saying as Community Baptist Temple, we need the power. Oh, we, we've got the tool bag. We've been given the commission. We know exactly what we're to accomplish, but let me tell you, sometimes we get a little anxious and we head out the door and we knock on them and we talk to people and we go to the store and we talk to, to those people at the counters and we tell our friends and family about the Lord and sometimes we have all the answers that are necessary to, to, to point them to Christ, but the problem is we don't have the power of the Holy Spirit in our life. 
because we've not tarried long enough to possess him. See, power is a person. You know, we look at it as an intangible. We look at it as something that is like electricity. You can't see it, but it'll hurt you if, it, if you touch it. Just like salvation is a person, guess what? Power is a person. We have to tarry and get into the presence of God. And, and you know, our pitiful efforts called prayer often are not going to accomplish or, or enable us to possess that power. There has to be a purity in our life, a cleansing, a washing. The only way you get... See, I don't see a need to get thing, anything straight in my life as long as I'm not too close to Him. I'm, I'm okay. As long as I don't get too close to Him, I feel pretty good. Because see, whether I realize it or not, in my flesh, I just compare myself to the world. And I say, I'm, pff, I'm not doing all that junk they're doing. I don't listen to all the junk they listen to. I don't go to the places they go to. I don't do the stuff they do, so I'm pretty good. Then I get into this book. It's a mirror to my soul. I see him face to face. And when I look at him, I can't help but see the reflection of my sin back at me. I realize how miserably poor I measure up in his eyes, in my flesh and in myself. And I know we don't need to get into a big debate about salvation. And now that new man, according to 1 John 3, 9, is there. So you're really perfect, even though you're a sinner and all that. I'm not going to debate all that. But I'll tell you this. The truth is we're still sinners in this flesh till the day that we get that new body. Amen. And, you know, we're going to war with that flesh. We're going to war with sin till the day we die. And we have to face the reality that we're not everything we think we are sometimes. And the fact is I can have the, the plan of God memorized. And I can have the word of God memorized. And I can, I can have answers for those that are needed of counseling and, and I can have all the, the everything lined up one two three four so to speak but if I don't have the enduing power of the Holy Ghost as God demanded of his disciples before they went out to accomplish the work that he called them to do then I am just as powerless and just as useless as they would have been Amen. and that's true about all of us today husband you want to do your family a favor get close to God wait on God Carry in the presence of God till you get a little dose of the power of God, the person of the Holy Ghost. He'll make you sweet. The Bible says that the, the, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. Listen, that is, that's the fruit of the Spirit. Those are the qualities and characteristics that will make you sweet amongst your family. Those are the ones that will give you power to face your enemies the way Christ intended you to. You'll be able to face life that way. And you'll do it in a way that honors God if you have the power of the enduing power of the Holy Ghost. Without it, we're useless. We're just doing it the way the world does it in our flesh. God help us to wait on the Lord. That's all that He's telling them here. He's saying, hold your horses. Don't just go out and try to do my work without my promise. And the promise was the Holy Spirit of God. Just tarry here in Jerusalem. You be patient. You pray. You persevere till He shows up in your life. Then, and only then, are you truly equipped and ready to accomplish what I've called you to do.
The old adage is, one finger pointing at you, three pointing back. Let me tell you something. There's one thing Pastor O'Donnell needs this year. It's the personal touch of the Holy Ghost in his life, more than ever. Because there's more fa- we have to face than ever this year. And if I try to face it in my flesh, it's over. It's over. God help us. God help us tonight to truly, like the disciples, hold our horses and wait on the Lord and allow Him to fill us with His Spirit. Let's not step out till we know God is in our corner and His hand is on our shoulder and His presence is in our heart and life. And when we knock those doors, when we teach those lessons, when we serve the Lord, we'll be serving Him in His power, not our own. And that is a game changer. Father, we come to you. We thank you again for just the wonderful privilege we have of experiencing.